0: Hello and welcome to Camino Talks. I'm Sean from Follow Camino, and with me today is Keith Foskett, who is a long distance hiker and an author of four books about his adventures. Welcome to the show, Keith. Morning, Sean, hi. Thanks for joining us.
1: You're welcome, thanks for asking me.
0: So Keith, um, you've written four books about various travels, but before we go into that, maybe just give a little bit of a background about yourself, where you're from, who you are, you don't
1: mind. At the moment, I'm a a full-time writer. Um, I'm originally from a little village called Billingshurst, which is near Horsham and West Sussex. Uh, I grew up around the South Downs in Sussex. Um, I got into hiking, well, I got into walking when I was about 16 or 17, I suppose. Um, I've done three Caminos. Uh, The first one was in 2001. Um, which really got me into the long-distance hiking bug. Um, Didn't do any more long-distance trips until 2010 when I did the Pacific Crest Trail in America. Uh, In 2012, I did the Appalachian Trail in America. Uh, 2015, um, I had an unsuccessful attempt on the Continental Divide Trail in America. Uh, Got to about a mile 550. Had some medical issues. And after that I've done the Camino a further two times um, and in amongst all of that a hike across Scotland and stuff like the North Downs Way, the Ridgeway, Cape Rath Trail, lots of other hikes around uh, the UK and my full-time occupation now is is to write about it.
0: Very good, very good. So I understand before you'd ever heard of the Camino you were probably sitting on a bar in, in an island in Greece, kind of enjoying yourself. So maybe tell us how you got from there to, to undertaking your first Camino.
1: Um, I was working at a, a yoga retreat on the south coast of Crete. This was back in 2001. Um, I finished work there around about the beginning of uh, August. and had about kind of two two and a half months of the summer left um decided i wanted to do something with it and i'd always wanted to do a a, a long hike and when i say a long hike you know upwards of of a month or so um i didn't really know or i hadn't even heard of the camino at this point i didn't really know which walk to do other than the fact that i wanted it to kind of be in the mediterranean to take advantage of the later summer down there as opposed to somewhere like the uk Um, And I was flying back home. I was in um, Heraklion, which is a city on the north coast of Crete. And uh, I was in a bar in the youth hostel and just got talking to a Kiwi guy called Bob, who had a friend that had just come back from Spain and walked something called El Camino de Santiago, which, as I say, I hadn't heard anything about. And we got chatting about it. um, And the following day, when I got back home to the UK, I did a, a lot of research on it. And about three days after that, I was flying out to... Uh Lyon in France uh, to start my Camino and I did a route called the Via Podensis which starts in Le Puy-en-Villay in France. Uh, it's about 500 miles to the French-Spanish border where I linked in with the Camino Francais which I'm sure your uh, viewers and listeners are more than aware of um, which was the further 500 miles to uh, Santiago in Spain so that's how I uh uh, that's how I did my first one or the story behind it.
0: Okay. And what did you find the differences between, say, the Le Puy Camino, the first 500 miles in France, versus the Camino Frances in Spain? Describe what, what you found.
1: Uh, apart from the cultural dish- differences, um, I found France a lot more like England geographically. It was a lot greener. Um, it's kind of gently rolling hills. Um, Spain was kind of how I anticipated it, really. I, I, I sort of imagined it sort of the, the opposite of, of France in terms of ge- geography. I expected more hills, um, I expected it to be a lot drier, dustier, kind of that more um, kind of sandy, rocky environment, which it was. Um, although in Galicia the last state it's uh, it's kind of the opposite of, of, of that um, it, it's really green it almost reminded me of places in England um, and Ireland um, apart from that I, apart from the geographical differences and obviously the language and the food you're eating and the opening hours and that sort of thing it was just a similar experience you know I was I, I some of the time I walked on my own, some of the time I walked with others. I was walking with people in Spain that i would met near the beginning of the hike. Um, I'd say one of the big differences I did note was that it, it was more easier to get accommodation in uh, Spain with the, the refuges. Um, although there's plenty of chances to, to bed down for the night in France, um, they were normally in the forms of kind of cheap bed and breakfasts, uh, a few hostels, yeah. uh, so it's a little bit more expensive in France, but Spain is a lot more geared up in places to stay overnight. There's uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of, of refuges, so it was a lot easier in that respect.
0: Okay. And when you completed the, the, that first Camino, did you come to any conclusions or decisions in your mind about your life, or you were going back to England, I believe, so did anything change?
1: Um, I did go back to England for about a week and then I flew to um, Florida to work on an organic farm for, for three months, which gave me plenty of, of time to uh, reminisce, I suppose, on on, on the Camino. Um, I decided a I wanted to do a lot more hiking. B, um, I didn't want to do any more jobs that... Uh, that I was fed up with doing. It was, I, I guess a lot of us are, are stuck in jobs we don't really like, which is kind of understandable because we've got families to feed, etc. But one of the decisions I made was to stop doing things that didn't make me unhappy, but weren't exciting me. And, and a big part of that was uh, what I was doing at the time. I can't remember what I was doing for work back then, but um, so I decided, I used to go self-employed and I spent a few years um, uh, decorating um, but the big decision I made apart from trying to do things that made me more happy was was to write a book and I've wanted to write a book for years and never had anything that I thought was interesting enough to to write about um, and suddenly I had I'd, I'd done the Camino and I had this uh, like four diaries of uh, of my memories and all the notes and, and everything that had happened to me. And I looked at it and thought, uh, there's a book in that. And that's when I started writing. Um, I started writing it on the farm in Florida in 2001 um, and it took me nine years, um, not because <laughs> I was literally writing every day and it took nine years. I think I wrote 80% of it in Florida and then I just left it. Yes. Um, and picked it up again beginning of 2010 as an, as a new year's resolution to finish it and I, I finished it that year
0: very good so that book is called the journey in between yeah and that was your first book that came out
1: it was yes okay
0: so in your books and your your bio you talk about being a through hiker so what does that mean is that an extreme hiker or is that somebody who goes long distances or goes solo maybe talk about what that means to
1: people um i think the the definitions vary but they they kind of adhere to one common trend and i as as an attempt to describe it it's um walking a long distance trail in one continuous attempt um i believe a lot of people tag in one calendar year on the end of it so um (sighs) Descriptions of long distance vary. I mean, to some people, 100 miles is, is, is to them long distance because they don't walk. To to other people, it might be 500, um, it might be 1,000 or, or more. Um, I wouldn't really know how to classify fly, flying distance. To me, I suppose, 500 or more uh, would be long distance. Um, but a lot of these hikes particularly the long ones in the States, so uh, it takes several months to complete. So I don't know. It's a difficult one. Um, I, I know for sure that it's it's supposed to be hiking one train in one continuous attempt. So time and your distance. Again, it, it varies according to the, to, to the person you're speaking to.
0: So then I, I think around that time, you decided to do a much longer trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, which is kind of over 2,600 miles long. Yeah. Your book out of that was The Last Englishman, so to me, that sounds like it's a totally different experience than the more than the, the Camino um, trails in Europe. So maybe t- tell us a little bit about the Pacific Crest Trail, why it was so challenging and what drew you to it?
1: Um, it, it is a completely different experience. Um, I mean, when I set out to do the Camino, I, I never thought I'd be able to walk 500 miles, let alone the thousand I did on the Camino. And having done it, uh, I just kind of upped my... Uh, up my sort of targets. Once we are aware of what we're capable of, we, we kind of look, look at what how we can do to, to, to improve it. Um, I chose the Pacific Crest Trail for a couple of reasons. It was either the, the, the toss up was either the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail, which most long distance hikers kind of go for. It's probably the most famous. It's the classic. A lot of people do it every year. Um, I. It, it basically it all came down to the weather, to be honest, the Appalachian Trail has got a reputation for being very wet. Um, and my idea of I mean, all the hikers walk in the rain at some point, but for the reports I've read about the Appalachian Trail kind of put me off from the uh, the, the rainfall it gets. Yes. Um, And the Pacific Crest Trail, A, it's a lot drier. I mean, I'm not saying you're never going to get wet on it. Of course you are. But the the climate in terms of rainfall is a lot lot kinder. Um, And it's a more, it's longer, obviously. It's 2,600 miles, which takes anywhere. I mean, the fastest hikers, well, I think the fastest at the moment is something crazy like 60 days. But your average hiker will take between three and a half to six months, something like that. So it was, it, it certainly set, put the targets way up. I mean, it's two and a half, two and a half Caminos. Um, and the other thing was the, the, the geography, the, the, the landscape. You start off, uh, the first 700 miles is what the Americans would classify as desert. So there's very little rainfall, there's very little water. Um, and then it kind of hits, this is all through California. Um, then it hits Oregon where you kind of hit the forests and the big mountains and then finally Washington, where there's even more forest and, and more mountains. But um, it was just the, uh, the variedness of the the, the terrain and it, it going up into places like the high Sierra where we are just up in the mountains for, for weeks. So you've got these distinct stages, which is so different to the previous one and, and and the other one to follow on. So that's, there was a lot of reasons, but uh, that's why I settled on the Pacific Crest Trail. So obviously, as you know, and
0: our listeners will know, the Camino is quite sociable. There's always a place to sit down and have a cup of coffee and a chat or a glass of wine when you finish your day's walk and there's all hostels and an albergues. I, I don't think that's the same with the Pacific Crest. I think it's more a solo, lonely kind of camping type trail. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, there's a lot i did the pacific crest trail in 2010 and i think the amount of registered hikers um, was something like 220. Um, i haven't looked at the latest figures i think the last time i looked for a couple of years ago it was up to two and a half three thousand i think the popular popularity has increased because of films and books like wild and yes. the general long distance hiking bug um i've forgotten the question sorry i, I suppose it- it sounds like a very
0: lonely, kind of solo...
1: Yes, so there's less people. That, that is the main thing. But, um, I mean, the Camino, there's... Again, I forget the figures. The last time I looked, I think a quarter of a million people have done it in, in, in this period, from sort of uh, March, April through to September. So the amount of people that do the Camino is way, way higher than the, the Pacific Press Trail, even now. But... Um, the Camino, you you also never haven't you don't have a problem meeting people. The Pacific Crest Trail, despite the fewer amount of people on it, because we all started at this this two week window at the end of uh, April, yes. which is considered optimal to get up into the mountains because of snowfall mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So we we call it we call it a bubble. It was um, so this group of two hundred and fifty hikers in this two week period, and we kept kind of overlapping everybody and. If anything, you you think you wouldn't see anybody, but you get to meet a lot of familiar faces. Um, some people I walk with for half a day, some people a day, some people I walked with for a month or so. Um, and it, it, uh, just touching on that, you see a lot of, I see a lot of questions or a common question on the Camino forums on, on places like Facebook is um, I'm a lone woman or indeed even a, a lone man and some people Go out there purely for the for the solitude and have no issues walking alone. But a lot of people are scared of going out and doing these things, especially the Camino on their own. And the the, the best advice is you, you're not going to be alone because even if you go out there alone, even on day one, as soon as you get to um, wherever you're starting from, whether that be St. Jean, Peter Port or wherever, um, you're going to meet people and usually within a couple of days you you know a handful of people you walk with um so don't be scared of of going out alone and don't being afraid of don't be afraid of being alone when you're out there you you won't be
0: what was the um i suppose the hardest m- moment on the that pacific crest trail or the the worst moment or the, the lowest moment or the challenging moment for you
1: um, I never had any problem with solitude because it doesn't doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I revel in it. So the days I think I had a day in the Sierras where I didn't see anybody for four days. Um, and if anything, I actually loved that. Not that I got anything against, against people, but I just enjoy the solitude on it. Um, I had some issues where I was coming off a peak called Forest, sorry, a pass called Forrester Pass, which is the highest point on the on the entire trail i think the elevation is just shy of thirteen thousand feet or something and i'd read a lot about something called post holding which is where the snow melts normally you're walking along the top but as it melts it becomes more unstable a lot of the times not just a foot but a whole leg will go down and get caught between rocks and you sprain and break things um and i did fall through Um, getting towards the bottom of forest had passed. Thankfully, it wasn't wasn't serious. I bloodied my knee and I cut it. Um, Thankfully, I didn't break anything. Um, Had a couple of instances with water supply where I misjudged it. So, you know, I was walking at about a 35 degree heat and I think I had to walk 15 miles with half a litre of water. Uh, That wasn't very funny at all. A lot of snake encounters, a lot of bear encounters, uh, especially a bear encounter late one evening, I was camped on the side of a mountain and uh, there was food all around me, which is is not a good idea. And I just felt or heard something coming down through the the bush above me. uh, And it plonked down the trail about 10 feet away, it was pitch black, but I could make out the outline of a bear. didn't know what to do. Just stood there looking at each other for about a minute and eventually I just did what we're supposed to do, raised my arms, made a lot of noise. And it looked at me for about another minute and then just kind of strolled us down the hill. So I think my biggest fear was snakes and bears, but having seen both of them several times, you you understand them a lot more um, and you certainly respect them a lot more. So I'm glad I saw, saw both of them on, on plenty of occasions
0: okay very good and then i suppose i think the next year or pretty soon afterwards you decided to do the appalachian trail as well
1: yeah that was 2 years after the pt pct so 2012 and despite all my fears of the the appalachian trail i think we had one of the best summers ever on the on the appalachian trail i think 2012 if you speak to hikers that did it that year they'll say uh, yeah we didn't get much rain at all And I certainly didn't get much so i mean i got a fair share but um, most of my memories of it are, are, are sunshine, are fluffy white clouds for the whole route, yeah. uh, except for the start. It was a bit cold, but uh, yeah, I did that. Um, uh, I think it, I did it in a day under five months, um, which is a bad average for the trail. Led up, met a lot of fantastic people, um, and that too is it's it, it's a wonderful trail. Some people say it's it's harder than the Pacific Crest Trail. It's shorter, but I think I think I'm right in saying there's more elevation loss and gain on the Appalachian Trail than there is on the Pacific Crest Trail because the Appalachian Trail is literally just up down up down up down yeah. up down so some some people consider it a lot uh, a lot harder it's certainly certainly a tough one okay
0: so and, and you you've written a book about that as well the the it's called Balancing on Blue so you, you've now got three books the, the Camino the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail yeah and I I believe it's around this time 2010, 11, 12 when you kind of first kind of started kind of realizing or experiencing depression and that will that's leads us on to the topic of your your next book but can you maybe talk about that a little bit how it happened what it did to you or why you think you had depression was that Um, you to do these trails or or vice versa
1: I wasn't uh, I mean I walked I did a hike across um, Scotland, which I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to, um, which was a pretty torrid affair. I mean, Scotland was, was beautiful. The trail was amazing. Um, but psychologically, I was an absolute mess. My, my emotions were all over the place. Um, I had absolutely no reason why. I was aware something was, was wrong and, and, and seriously wrong uh, uh, with my head. And it wasn't until i got back that i realized or the doctor diagnosed that that i had depression and at that point i realized that although that was a particularly bad time it did kind of rekindle memories stretching back to i think about 2010 and certainly on the pacific crest trail when i had um, a lot of mood swings a lot of emotions um and i never really realized at the time um because they weren't severe they were they were they happened very often and they weren't anything that made me sort of unduly concerned and i just thought it was you know emotions because i was out hiking and you're tired and uh, and all this sort of thing so i never paid any attention to them but after walking across scotland and experiencing my depression then i did make connections to similar events back in 2010 so i think In 2015, when I was on a Scottish hike, I think I'd been suffering it for about 10 years. And obviously, it was on a steady steady decline, as in getting worse. Um, And I think the months following when I got back from Scotland, so I think this is yeah 2015, so from July to... January of 2016 I was a a complete mess absolute mess I knew at that point I had depression um, and I was struggling to deal with it but I did eventually uh, manage to understand and took steps to uh, to make myself better I still get it but uh, it's far less often because of the steps I've taken and it's far less severe I'd say almost to the fact that I know I have it, I have bad days, um, but nowhere near as bad as it was uh, sort of six years ago.
0: So I think your book called High and Low, which was your story about hiking through Scotland, that was not intended as a book about depression, but I think as you returned, you kind of decided to change it from a travel book to kind of a story about your feelings, your depression, how you cope with it. So. Maybe talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I I kind of like it to think of it as a, as a mix. So if you enjoy hiking, you'd probably enjoy it. And if you're, I won't say if you enjoy depression, also you don't. But if you wanted to hear a story about depression, then um, there's that side of it as well. So it's kind of a two part approach. I hadn't anticipated it to be uh, about depression at all. It was just it was going to be another hiking book about walking across Scotland. But when I sat down to write it, I wrote the first chapter. And then sort of reading my notes so I, I, I kept a diary as I do with all my walks so a day-by-day chronological event so I know what's happened and it jogs my memory and, and just reading forward to to taking notes and events to write chapter two I realized most of my diary was, was, was about depression and how my head was and how I was feeling and my moods and my emotions and my unhappiness and At that point, I I started weaving the depression in and I I finished chapter two. And then I thought, you just have to follow on with this with this trend, write about the hiking side of it. But also write about the depression as well. And it was hard. I mean, it was. It's hard to write. About emotions truthfully, because you have to open up and you you kind of wonder if that how people are going to feel when they read it and it's some of it is is kind of quite opening and a lot of it I thought twice about writing about because you are opening yourself up um, but the feedback was the feedback was fantastic I think it's in in terms of reviews and stuff it's 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 the it's got the most decent or better reviews than, than all my books and I think that's that's why just because of this this honesty thing but the feedback's been fantastic especially from people who suffered with depression and have just sort of turned around and said thank you so it was it was a good decision it certainly made it worth uh, worthwhile doing
0: and and do you think what you wrote was that news to people your friends your family people knew you or did they already know and you were just kind of explaining to them truthfully for the first time
1: no i didn't i didn't tell anyone um I mean, I told close friends and family, but there's the, there was a stigma even back in 2015 uh, towards depression, uh, although we were talking about it. Um, there was still this stigma attached to it, that if you think you've got it, that there's something wrong with you and it's your fault. And it's obviously not that case at all. It's something you have no or don't have a huge amount of control over. So I did I did tell people close family, friends and i thought well when you know when the book's out then everybody's gonna know so i did get a lot of emails and and calls from people that knew me and didn't know that you know i had this this depression thing but um yeah
0: okay do you have any advice for people now in 2020 2021 i i I expect there's a lot more people than normal experiencing kind of Feelings of depression or being locked in or not able to do things. Do you have any advice or observations on what people might be going through in the current pandemic?
1: I think it's, yeah, yeah, especially with the pandemic and people being, you know, holed up at the moment in lockdown. Um, I don't know if it's, I think it's obviously causing a lot of people to have depression. And I think it's a two pronged thing as well, that a lot of people have depression and it's now that it's acceptable to talk about it. And uh, there's a lot more people that, that are talking about it. Um, I I mean, advice, I can only really advise on what I did. And my frame of mind was I, I didn't want to take antidepressants, which seems to be the logical choice. I know a lot of people do, and a lot of I know a lot of people benefit from, from it, and I wouldn't advise against not taking them. But I didn't want to take it for the very simple reason that we don't know what causes depression we have ideas but there's no um there's no research proof what causes it we've got a pretty good idea but none of it's really been proven so my argument was how can i take a pill um that supposedly alleviates depression when we don't even know what causes it it didn't make any sense to me and plus there was the you know, the side effects and the addiction issues with, with antidepressants. So I, I just went on Google and researched. I can't remember what I typed in, but I think I just typed in something like natural ways to alleviate depression. And I ended up with a 15-point list covering everything from, from the obvious ones like uh, diet, exercise, um, sunlight, um, even down to stuff you can eat, um, supplements and this sort of thing. And I whittled it all down to this 15-point list, which is in the back of High and Low, the book. Um, or if anybody wants to email me this after this, uh, this interview, I'm more than happy to, uh, to email it to them. And I followed it. I mean, I don't, I don't follow every single point strictly every single day, but I cover most of them every single day, and within a week... Um, I noticed a huge difference. I think the big issues for me was I was drinking a lot of the time, and as soon as I stopped drinking, that was a marked, a marked difference. And I think if you see if you see a doctor, I think I don't know if they're trained to ask this question, but I think there's strong links with uh, with alcohol and depression. I.e., if you drink a lot of alcohol, there's a reasonable chance that you either suffer or you will suffer from a depression. So the one thing I can say is. Uh, drink doesn't make doesn't make it better. In fact, it drink if anything will will kick that sort of thing off. But um
0: okay. That's some good advice there. Um so after that I think you you almost turned your back on kind of long distance
1: hiking or you you lost interest in it. Um last no not last year, two thousand and two thousand and nineteen. 2019. Um I flew out to Spain to do a Camino walk Um, and I got about two weeks into it and I was feeling all right but there was a lot of questions in my head and the the, the question which kept coming up as if someone was constantly prodding me in the side is do you really want to do this anymore which is kind of a strange thing to be thinking about because I was doing something I loved Um, but I kind of... I looked into it or thought about it for a few days and I sort of thought, I thought, no, I I don't actually want to do this anymore, which is a bit of a shocker. But emotionally, I mean, your head's trying to tell you one thing and your heart's trying to tell you tell you another. And I'll always follow my heart. I listen to my head. But my heart's normally right. So I flew back home and made the decision to stop long distance hiking. And it wasn't a physical thing. It, It was... The best way I can just explain it is we as we kind of go through life, we have these interests. So it might be might be long distance hiking, might be knitting, might be wine tasting. It might be riding your bike. It might be horse riding, whatever. Uh, and I think in my experience, I've kind of tried them out. So some things I'll try for a couple of days and I think, no, that's that's not really for me. Some things will last for maybe six months, a couple of years. And I enjoy doing them. And then I just I can't explain it. I just sort of lose interest in it. And that's what happened with through hiking. The passion wasn't there anymore. I was in a situation where I was forcing myself to do something that. I didn't want to do anymore. That said. I've said a lot of things in my life where I'm not going to do something and the following year, I go out and do them. So I mean, I'm still hiking. I do, you know, I do the South Downs Way every year, which is like a tradition now. But um, I still, I'm still hiking, just like the long distance stuff. But as I say, in two years' time, I might completely reverse the decision and go and do some long hike somewhere. I don't know. But for the time being, yeah, I'm it's been uh, tricky
0: for somebody who probably the last number of years has made a living out of writing books about yeah. hiking. So, what do you do if you if you don't hike?
1: Yeah, that that was obviously a major factor in it when when I decided that I thought well I haven't got anything to hike about but um, and sorry nothing to write about but so I don't know I mean I might write I might write another memoir I'm I'm into my I'm into my bicycles at the moment I've always loved my bikes as well as my my hikes so I do a lot of road riding, a lot of gravel riding. I went for a, a five, six week tour around France yesterday down to Switzerland last year on the bike, bike packing. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And I've got more long distance bike bike packing plans as well. So maybe, uh, maybe there'll be a, a book out of that. One thing I have learned about writing is if you're not passionate about it, it's not going to be a very good book. So I'm not going to force myself on, on that issue.
0: And I believe that kind of future plan may involve cycling the old Silk Road from China back to the UK.
1: Yeah, um, this is, I think, something that's about 10 years off. But I have a friend who I, I went cycling touring um, uh, in 94, showing my age there. Um, and he's always had a, a passion or a deep interest in the Silk, the silk Road, which is... Uh, an old trading route from China. I think it's from China to, to Istanbul. Where they used to trade, you know, the, the silks, um, the spices, all that sort of thing. Um, and we want to fly out to China and ride back to Istanbul. I can't even remember the distance, but it is something crazy. And at that point we decided well, if we're going to do that and get to Istanbul, we might as well ride from Istanbul back to London. It doesn't make sense to fly there. So yeah, this is probably, maybe eight years away but um yeah that's that, that's the plan it's something we both like to do so and certainly I hope there's a book in it yeah
0: definitely and i think it's great to have a kind of plan like that especially during these difficult times to have something to really kind of look forward to and imagine doing something crazy
1: yeah yeah it's nice to have dreams yeah
0: it's fantastic. Well, listen, Keith, I really appreciate your time. I think your story is very interesting. You've got the four books available and we'll post them on on our page. And I think the conversation about depression, depression, I think was very, very kind of useful and hopefully it will help um, some people. So I appreciate your time and I look forward to talking to you again in in the future.
1: No problem, Sean. Nice talking to you. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.